What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain so many of you have been asking about when the opportunity was to visit on at HQ or experience an ecstatic dance or get some more personalized coaching from me. So I wanted to open up the Go For Your Win Mastermind Weekend and open that up to everybody because all the principles universally apply, whether it's own the day or go for your win or love and relationship or psychedelics, everything intertwines and supports that idea of genuine total human optimization and what I'm really all about. So we created the weekend, June 16th and 17th, the Aubrey Marcus Mastermind Weekend, and it'll be an incredible opportunity to do all of the above. We're bringing in some great guest speakers. We're going to have roundtable discussions, opportunities to do black swan yoga, experience my brand new ecstatic dance, which I'm super excited to lead you guys through, and really get to drop in with myself, the inner circle, and the inner workings behind the Onnit team. So I hope to see a bunch of you guys there. If you're interested, go to aubreymarcus.com slash weekend, and you can check out tickets and some of the details there. So go to aubreymarcus.com slash weekend. Ryan Moran is an entrepreneur, a libertarian, and a staunch advocate for the value of the free market. While we don't agree on everything, this is a really interesting conversation covering money, economics and society and how all sides of the spectrum can come together to create a better solution i hope you guys enjoy it my man what's up Bob? Well, what's Thanks going for on ryan me, man yeah absolutely it's great to be here it's great to have you here so i want to talk a little bit about your background because i think that's an interesting piece to the story because there's not a lot of people who went to college thinking they were going to be a pastor and then became this kind of spokesperson for claiming personal freedom through entrepreneurship you know it just seems like this whole journey is somehow linked of you know kind of following a system that was already preset i mean nothing is perhaps more preset than a religious doctrine system that's been set for thousands of years in that case to someone who's kind of claiming their own radical personal freedom in multiple areas of life including you know opening your mind to different spiritual options different physical experiences, different, you know, business experiences, different political experiences. So take us a little bit through that, like young Ryan and the evolution that's become into this version that we see sitting before us here right now. No one has ever linked those two before. And that's very insightful of you because there absolutely is a connection with my exit from traditional religion and Christianity and my passion for entrepreneurship. And I think they come back from a, a desire for freedom and a desire to know what's true 
And when I was really active in the church, it was, this is, this is your, this is your belief system. This is your playbook. Exactly. This is, this is what's okay to believe. And this is how it is. And if you operate within that system, you're going to be fine. You're going to be great. There will be streets of gold and chocolate covered cherries and you'll have a cherries. Those sound lascivious. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, maybe something more safe like apples. (laughs) (laughs) Well, apples got Adam in trouble. That's true. In Genesis. What what kind of fruit is safe in the Bible? (laughs) We got to be careful here. (laughs) So, so I was, you were given the playbook and I bought into the playbook. Uh I bought into the system in my religion and it was, it gave me, it, it actually really served a purpose for me. And I'm really thankful for that time that I spent deep in the, in the weeds of Christianity. It, it, I think it is part of who I am today, but at some point I asked questions about that structure and that wasn't okay. Yeah. I remember doing that same thing when I got honey dicked into a, a church ski trip where I thought I was going skiing, but really it was the prolonged (laughs) Bible study interspersed with periods of skiing. And I was like, no way. Like, you're not, no, this is not happening, you know? And, and they would be talking about things and just the simple, and I hadn't formed any real religious belief system at that point. I just kind of knew things that, that didn't wear right. Mm. Like, oh, that everyone who hasn't been exposed to Christianity is, is going through hell, even though they didn't have a choice. I was like, that world system is fucked. Mm. Like that doesn't sound fair at all. You know, that sounds if you're going to use the right word, demonic. Oh, you didn't even have an option and you're going to hell because you didn't even have that option. You know, and I would ask questions like that and they'd be like, yeah, we're moving on. We're moving <laughs> on to the safe areas of the playbook. And I'm sure that there was those moments for you. It's like, man, this, this shirt doesn't fit. It doesn't wear with truth. It doesn't have that vibration. Is that kind of the first experiences that you started to have? It, it was kind of an emperor's clothes scenario where everybody yeah. is applauding oh wonderful and and somebody says wait a minute I, this let's, let's let's talk about this for a second I, but that wasn't okay and and when one thing is okay to question it opens up the ability to kind of be okay with the consequences of bucking the trend and so the idea of the nine to five job this is what everybody is doing you go to you go to college and you get a job and you do all the things that you're supposed to do and you get this wonderful result for our parents generation that was that if anything was a religion that's the religion you know like my dad really wanted me to work at goldman sachs you know because for him that was the playbook like the religion was going to finance get a safe job you know have that security have that like that was something that i think universally we almost worship to a certain extent you know it's this kind of belief system it's the playbook that we ascribe to but that doesn't wear right for a lot of people either and i think now we might say that about relationship structures yeah this is the promise if you do the right things yeah it will you will meet the one and it will be glorious and, and rainbows you'll, you'll and know and there's chocolate covered <laughs> cherries as well yeah you know so yeah and you'll know right and <laughs> and and so i i have always been fascinated by freedom and I think as a kid, when I was nine years old, I discovered what the stock market was and I became fascinated with business and investing. And this desire for personal autonomy started as a desire for business success. And that carried over into, well, 
well, what about religion? Does it have to be this playbook? And by the way, that this was that was not an I didn't never wanted to thumb my nose at God and say, um, screw this, I'm out. It was very, very painful, very painful to leave a religion that where I got all of my purpose, I got all of my my direction in life, it defined who I was. That wasn't fun to question that and leave that. No. And and that was scary and painful. So that but that that skepticism or that desire for freedom or to know what's true and to be able to 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 pursue and grow started as a a business journey and then it was applied to religion and now I, I apply that to all areas of my life and I think that is that must be the default of any society or any person that wants to improve. And that's why I believe in capitalism and entrepreneurship and personal responsibility as the best possible way to improve and for us to be as progressive as possible. Yeah, I, I think a lot of times people will, will look at those periods like, oh man, you know, I had this upbringing and I was brought up in this way and it you know they'll look at that as this kind of like misfortune to have had but in truth your transition from that has become a great strength because it's allowed you to apply that specific thing you learned with religion to painfully go out on your own question everything go back to a zero state where okay now i got nothing and now i can rebuild it up the courage to do that is the same courage that it'll take somebody to leave the comfort of their normal relationship or normal nine to five job the safety of those comfortable shores and forge out into those scary choppy unknown waters and be the explorer that perhaps we were destined to be but you were able to learn that based upon learning that specifically through this kind of religious journey we very rarely change when things are going great yeah we very rarely change to pursue pleasure we almost always change because something was painful because we saw a problem and we wanted to solve that problem almost always we are so much more driven to avoid pain than to pursue pleasure and i think one of the dangers is that especially my generation sees comfort as the the highest aim and instead of embracing where there are problems and coming up with solutions to those problems and that's 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 why i went in the direction of acquiring and building out capitalism.com because how did you get that domain name, <laughs> first of all like tell us about that well i i will just just to finish the point i think capitalism is the structure through which it's safe and okay for things that don't belong to crumble and for us to come up with good solutions or at least better solutions to solve a problem and to and to progress mm -hmm. is the only solution is the only system through which the things that shouldn't be there go away and that we have the the freedom and the ability the space to build something better i i acquire it's almost like life i mean in in a lot of ways it's like life itself in life how evolution happens is the weak the weak die off and they don't pass on their traits anymore and then the, the stronger the more successful the species and the more successful adaptations they thrive and they reproduce and they multiply it's it's really you know a construct that is in more in accord with the natural order of things 
than you know a lot of other structures and i think that's why if you look universally across the board it's been you know the most successful system that we've had because that's actually what works in nature and so it works spread societally universally across culture as well so there's one caveat to this because when we compare capitalism to to evolution it's easy to say well that means that the weak people in our society will die off or will be poor or will be disenfranchised and i don't think that's the case i think actually in capitalism they're more taken care of they're more protected and we can get to that but i think where capitalism is like evolution is that bad ideas mm -hmm. die off bad organizations die off bad products die off and it gives room for something better the strongest companies survive the strongest ideas grow until they no longer serve the greater good and they go away and something better replaces them and is the only system that allows those bad ideas to go away and it is because the bad ideas the bad products die off that people actually prosper and that is evidenced by the fact that there are seven billion people alive compared to a few hundred years ago when there were less people and we are more economically free and we are better off because the bad things have died off and it's given space for better yeah, solutions. because there's more yeah exactly there's more room available to support there's more abundance and prosperity when these universal systems that are constrictive and failing and these processes that are failing when you allow the life cycle to take hold then there's more available for everything now the other component that needs to be developed as we start to see all of the people as one tribe and start to eliminate these divisions between i'm more special because or i'm more oh it's all one tribe all of these little lines that we carve out on the map to create our many nations and all of these different divisions within the nation and all these different identities racial cultural social whatever we start to collapse those which i think is where we're going yeah and then there is no other alternative but compassion you know and then the compassion creates systems that support those people who are having a harder time like if you love somebody and they're in your tribe and they're hungry like if you're eating a big ass sandwich and the person next to you is mm -hmm. hungry you know if we're at taste of ethiopia with a hungry person <laughs> right and we got all the fucking teff and we got all the injera bread and we got all this stuff and this person's starving and it's our homie it's like oh no no i ordered the i ordered the the lamb you can't have it <laughs> that doesn't make any sense right so i think it's a combination of capitalism creates the right system but then our own metaphysical identity as same as all people are same living different lives that love then allows the willing and voluntary compulsion to help each other you just use a really important word and it was voluntary because you as someone i care about and love and as a friend if you're going through a hard time and you're part of my tribe i'm i'm wired biologically to to help take care of you to support you to make sure that you are taken care of and that you get through that time we're all both going to be better off when we're both at our best where it breaks down is when that person that I have no connection to that is not in my tribe and I am forced involuntarily to take care of that person. That's where we create the barriers between one another because now I have resentment towards mm -hmm. that mysterious person who took from me and I have no incentive to take care of them. When those structures are removed and we do connect with one another, 
which happens naturally if you don't have the force of an outside system trying to connect everybody. If that goes away, we naturally connect to one another. And now I'm incentivized to take care of you. And so I'm of the opinion that we don't need an outside force to dictate that because when we're connected as a tribe, we do it naturally. Yeah, and so I think it's this combination of, I, I think people have this, people have, they just have the the kind of the wrong idea about how it needs to happen. You know, I mean, there's that, the Bernie Sanders idea of like, all right, we take all the money, we go grab them, we find the people who have the money, we dick it from them and we give it to these people, you know, but that whenever you're actively seeking to take something from somebody, that person is actively seeking to protect themselves, you know, because they're not going to want to voluntarily give it. So they're actually going to start hiding their money. They're going to move their money offshore. They're going to make it more difficult. Mm-hmm. They're going to feel more in scarcity. People are attacking me, you know, whereas if you create that environment for abundance and have a society that supports these metaphysical understandings that creates you know, that leaves room for ritual where you get to love yourself and love other people, then you have something that's kind of magical. And then you have a situation where the structure might be capitalism, but the kindness and the generosity looks a lot more like these socialistic ideals that don't actually work when you employ socialism. But you get to that state from the combination of a structure that's solid, that allows people to vote with their dollars, allows people to have the autonomy of choice and allows a system that works. And you intersperse that with, you know, consciousness about who you are and how Mm -hmm. everybody's the same. Then you get something that's fucking magical. Then you start to get in those utopic realms that I think ultimately we're all craving and all wanting. People just have this, the wrong idea of how we're going to get there. We think we're going to get there by, you know, taking and then forcibly dispersing. No, we need to have find those people who have all of these resources, you know, maybe take them on a plant medicine journey, maybe take them through some mm-hmm. MDMA assisted healing ceremonies and sessions and then have them look around and be like, "Oh damn, I got all these sandwiches and there's so many hungry people. <laughs> like let's start feeding some people." I know? I think the disconnect often happens when people believe that by one person having something, it means someone else does not have the same thing. And I think where the shift happens is when you think about it like farming. One farmer growing a bunch of corn does not restrict someone else's ability to grow the same amount of corn. Now, one of them could be a really good farmer and the other could be a really crappy farmer. And Bernie could stand up and say, it's immoral in this country (laughs) for you to have so much corn while this farmer over here has, (laughs) is being exploited because he can't grow corn, right? And, and, but the person who's really good at growing corn, you might have people lining up. You're like, keep doing that. I want to buy your corn. It's the most ethical thing for them to do, to do what they do really, really well. And if that corn farmer loves the other corn farmers, he's going to be like, Hey, check it out. I got some extra seeds. Here's my techniques. Here's the way it is. Like, like the Tesla fucking patents. Like, Hey everybody, we're making dope cars. You want to make dope cars too? Here's all the IP. Check it out. You know, do what you want with it. Like, he doesn't, you don't, you can transcend that, that hoarding scarcity mindset and then leverage the ability and the innovation and the natural reward systems and then carry that abundance and then help the whole world become more abundant too. And I think that's, it's just this little trap where we get caught halfway with the motivation, but not enough faith in the system and enough faith in people to make those decisions. And sure, there's evidence to the contrary. There's those people who are, 
eating cake while everybody is starving and they're isolated. Well, the missing gap there is the aristocracy never viewed themselves the same as the lower classes. They were different human beings. You know, they were different people in their own mind. And so it was fine to abuse, exploit these other people because they were somehow subhuman. They were somehow not same. They were somehow not tribe. You know what I mean? So it allowed these misuses of power to exist. And so I think finding that blend is where ultimately we must, we must get to. But to do it the backwards way and like force and, and through force of arms and force of like, if you don't pay this amount, we're coming in with guns and we'll throw you in yeah. a cage. And this whole system is not going to exacerbate those ends. It's actually going to delay those ends. It's like a temporary stopgap that leads to not the right outcome. You compared this recently, the last time we were we were together, and I'm I'm going to quote you on this. So in case there's negative flack, you get it in, <laughs> okay, in, in, instead of me. And and we were we were talking about sex. About there is. I feel safer already. <laughs> I, feel, I feel way safer already. Aubrey and I were talking about sex. <laughs> you know what happened next? So so we we were talking about how there's a difference between like marital committed loving sex and rape. Mm-hmm. They're both sex. One of them is consensual, and the other is force. So the difference is choice. So a good thing can become a bad thing when you take away choice. Yep. And capitalism, freedom, providing goods and services is exactly the same thing. When you when you take away choice and you create force out of it, you have removed freedom. And that's where the distortion of capitalism happens. When you show up with a gun to someone and you say, this is how it needs to be. This is what you have to do. And that's, that is the problem that we should fight against. And if you capitalize on people's inherent instincts, like why is Tom so successful? Is it because their shoes are so fucking amazingly badass? Kind of. But it was also one of the first conscious businesses to say, hey, you guys buy one of our shoes. Somebody else who has no shoes that you don't even know but really wants some shoes, they get a pair of shoes too. And that's been duplicated with eyeglasses and bottles of water and and across the board. And those companies are thriving because people will, in the free market, choose to buy Toms over some other cheaper version of Ninja Slippers. So because, because of that principle that they put in place. So they're voting with their dollars for this company that's doing good, creating additional abundance. And that abundance then can be shared. And they're creating this virtuous cycle by choice and those things naturally start to exist with greater you know with greater freedom and ability you just have to trust you have to trust the people ultimately and you give people that trust and then the people act more trustworthy across the board now there's going to be outliers you know it's like our, our return policy and on it right like we will offer full money back return you don't even have to send back your product So you know what? There's some people who are like, oh man, that product was really good, but I'm going to get a refund and I'm going to go buy it again from a different place, you know? And there's that asshole who takes advantage of that. But for the most part, people don't, you know, people don't abuse the system to at the level that we think there are, you know, like we have this idea that everybody's just going to take, everybody's just going to take, and that's reinforced over and over again across the board until you actually start to believe that about everybody else. And that belief then creates that reality into a certain extent where on the other side, you know, obviously there's some safeguards and some precautions that some, some guardrails that have to be 
put up in place and i recognize that but overall if you're a boss you know and, and you're with your employees the more freedom you give them the more in return you know trusting that law of reciprocity the more they're going to give back to you and yet i know that there are still people who say if what you have is so good why don't you give it away for free There's, even <laughs> even though you have return policies and 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 you are building a sustainable model to get good things into the world that make people's lives better i know that you still have people that say well why not give it away for free sure or why don't you give away everything you have then bro you know and that's you get that constantly but at the same regard like as the totality of what i'm able to do with that you know like what has my platform been able to provide well it's been able to provide a lot of abundance for me and i've shared that with people I love, my own close tribe, you know, they've certainly benefited greatly from that. And then universally, it's allowed me the freedom to write books and create content and do podcasts that cost nothing. And then take the time to support MAPS initiatives, which are going to heal millions of people and then explore these other realms and go off and bring back this not like it creates this virtuous cycle. And it's up to me. It's my own moral prerogative like what am i going to do what am i going to do with this power like by fucking spider-man you know that's like the truth of that myth with great power comes great responsibility like with this access to wealth and influence and resource like what am i going to do what's going to be my total tally at the end of it it's not going to be giving everything away and forfeiting all my power if i'm of any kind of moral virtue i should be willing to accumulate as much as i can because i'm going to trust that my ability to do something with that is greater than the mean, is greater than what the average would be able to do. By focusing those efforts, the totality of my expression will be net positive. And if it's not, that shit's on me. Yeah, so would you agree that access to grass-fed butter and MCT oil is a good thing? Mm-hmm. All right, so I was at a coffee shop here in Austin, a place I really like called Picnic. I like it too. Yeah, I love awesome. Picnic, right? And uh, I went up to get my my coffee, and I was asked, "Well, where are you headed today?" And I said, "Oh, I'm I'm going to I'm away to the office." And they said, "Oh, where do you work?" I said, oh, "I'm the CEO of Capitalism.com." And she said, "Oh, are you pro-capitalism or are you anti-capitalism?" And I said, "Well, it would it would be a little weird if <laughs> if I owned Capitalism.com just to shit on it, <laughs> yeah, just, and and had a hate blog for 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 capitalism." And uh, I said, you know, I think it's I think it's the 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 greatest force for good in the world. And she said, oh, and she kind of got a little bit uncomfortable. And and she said, I'm I'm not so sure. And she said, I feel like if you didn't have capitalism, you would still have uh, you'd still have passion businesses. Like it would still exist. It's like, okay, so do you think somebody is just so passionate about grass fed butter and MCT oil that they're making it available here at Picnic and around the world? Or do you think that they had to come up with a profitable, sustainable model to distribute a good product to the rest of the world? And as a business owner who has something good, like Alpha Brain, like the products that on it, it is a moral responsibility if you have something good to get it out to as many people as possible. And the only way, the only way to be able to do that is if it is sustainable and profitable. And in that context, then it is almost a moral imperative for you to be as successful as possible. Because it means that the good things and the good ideas that you're sharing and spreading are going out to as many people as possible. And just like the two farmers, if you have a lot of freaking corn, it just 
enhances your ability to share more, to give more, and it does not restrict somebody else's ability to grow the exact same crop. It actually makes it easier for them. Yeah, and I think there's this kind of zero sum mythology that we have. Like there's mm-hmm. X amount of kernels, and every kernel that you have, you know, is a kernel that somebody else doesn't have. When really there's far more abundance, and you create abundance through these processes, right? Like as you as you create, you're actually creating more availability. You know, like the more yield you can get per acre, the more there is to feed. You know, in general, and so it's not a zero sum fixed fixed system where i do think it breaks is when there are people who have accumulated and hoarded these massive amounts of money but are missing that love component and don't really connect with anybody and don't really know what to do with it they've been in this massive just kind of validation and and you know hedonistic delusion and then they don't they don't they've they've mastered the game of accumulating but they haven't made it to the next step of personal evolution which is then okay now what do i do with this now what do i do and how do i give this back and how do i share this through ideas and through other things with those around me and everybody universally and and make a positive impact and i think that's just again that's just the blend that has to be there and i think for me focusing on waking people up and as I get more influential, more powerful, it's not just about me. It's about now I get to talk to the people who are other millionaires, billionaires, you know, because they'll see me as, oh, I, this is someone I can talk to. He started a business. He's running this. Like, he can, they can see me as peer, and I can say, hey, that's awesome. But guess what? So is this. So is what's in your heart. So is what, you know, you're able to do with the world if you utilize what you've accumulated in a positive way. And here's some ways that you can do it. And I think that's, you know, that's really ultimately how the whole game changes and how all of this wealth starts to get distributed is through this voluntary, a series of voluntary choices that come from love. Like we are the most charitable nation in the world, period. You know, like the U.S. is. And we're also one of the freest nations in the world as well. This correlation between freedom and generosity is established in macro. You know what I mean? Like, we will we will help each other if given the opportunity to help each other and i think that's just again the the faith in humanity and the nourishment of that faith i don't necessary. i don't agree entirely and there's there's something that you said in there that i i want to get behind but i i don't think is is the case and that is the guy who is really successful who is not operating from a would you call it a heart centered place mm-hmm simply the law of economics and the law of the universe still dictates that what that person does in order for him to continue growing or giving has to be of value to someone else unless it's done by force. So if he is not operating from a heart-centered place or a fulfilling place, or if he's going out to take, then the if we're assuming that there's choice, then that would naturally just die off that person's idea is just, it would not work. He would not have the ability to force other people to bend to his will. Mm. But when you get the government involved, now you have the ability to do that because you can lobby the government to force something on your behalf, which removes choice. It removes freedom. So that person would, if they, in a, in a normal, healthy environment, would have to then be forced to go into a place of giving to other people 
of providing something of value to other people, which would probably send them into a more heart-centered place. So for example, I, I had a time in my business where I, I had, a, I had a, a, a good amount of success and then we expanded probably a little too quickly and rails started to come off a bit. I got stressed and I started going to sales mode and I did not listen to what my customers wanted. I wasn't operating from a place of giving and service and I was selling to sell and, and it didn't work. People read right through it. I lost followers. People stopped paying attention to what I had to say. Oh, that's really interesting. And you know what that did? It forced me into a place where I was humble enough to listen to what people wanted. Yeah. It forced me to go deep inside myself. It forced me to go from a place of, man, I was a real asshole and start to listen again to what people wanted and make corrective measures to be of value to the world. Now, if I had had a magic button that allowed me as, oh, now I'm now a multimillionaire, I can do whatever I want. I can force everybody to just give me money or to do what I want. I'm never gonna go to that place. I'm never gonna become a better person. I'm gonna be more of an asshole because I can get away with it. And that's what happens when you remove freedom and you remove choice. I think so. I, I think you're right, except for in the case of like these temporary imbalances where the market hasn't had adequate time and has had systems in place. And, and these systems can be by force, you know, and monopoly, or they can just be fear constructs. You know, I think, I think around medicine right now and around pharmaceuticals, like when you talk about misuse of funds and misuse of power, I think, you know, you have to enter into the pharmaceutical conversation, especially when you're talking about opiates and you're talking about, you know, how the, the companies are manipulating doctors and encouraging them to prescribe. And you hear these stories that are coming out like, fear as a mechanism removes agency and when you're wielding fear to remove agency you are restricting freedom but not in a certain way but you're just using a different mechanism than the law of taxes or law of government mm -hmm. itself and then there's also like these natural monopolies that develop where you have all of this access to gas gasoline or something like that you know where those people the market isn't going to move very quickly and maybe not even move quickly enough for the to handle the world's crises that we have because the natural momentum of what they've gotten so far is so great or the these kind of mechanisms that remove our own internal autonomy and agency you know and there's multiple layers of that but there's going to be little imbalances that have are currently being exploited and currently exist based on momentum where i think the fastest route is waking those people up within those systems as well as waking up the general consumer so it speeds the process faster so you choose other competitive options you choose other alternative healthcare you know treatments yep. it's both it's got to be on both layers but there are what you had is beautiful because it's it's this on the micro enough and you created this business and had immediate feedback and you had no natural inherent advantage you were in the wild brisk air of free competition you know and that created this immediate feedback loop and that immediate feedback loop was immediately self-correcting you do something shitty bam yep. hand slap right you know recognition oh shit you know but there's insulated pockets of that where i think a lot of the wealth is being sucked and so not only do we have to wake up the consumer to their own fear and their own natural compulsion and these psychological mechanisms but we have to wake up the people within these structures and be like oh shit i've had a natural advantage i've had something that 
was not exposed to the brisk air, maybe from governmental policy or maybe from just sheer fucking momentum. And we got to handle both, waking up the people so that they can vote with their dollars differently and then waking up those structures that are already pre-existing to really make that kind of universal change. I, I do find it a little interesting that you bring up healthcare as an example of that because mm-hmm. that's the, the most regulated and government is more involved in that. And there's less choice and more force in that industry. And we do, we it's marketed as a protectionist thing. But you and I would probably skew more on the 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 spectrum of it's better to be more natural than than to lean on when on drugs. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's great to have the drugs as an option, of course. Yeah. Right. And and you you and I kind of skew probably more in in that direction. And twenty years ago, we would have been crazy outliers. We would we would have been we would have been weird hippie woo woos. Now, some people might still say we're still crazy woo-woos when we talk about other things that we're into. <laughs> but but 20 years ago, that was kind of a, a not a popular opinion. Mm-hmm. That has changed. But there are still structures that restrict that force. For example, we would probably agree that there are options for mental progress and healing, psychological healing, that are better Truth. than alternatives, but they're not allowed. Truth. All right. So you look at something like pain and then you see something like CBD and marijuana yeah, as, a, as, a, right. as a viable alternative to the opiates, which are literally killing people by the thousands. Right. Right. And that has been restricted by force, by literal right. guns and raids and fucking battering rams and throwing you in a cage. Like, so in some regards, these imbalances were created by initial, you know, initial force. And then the momentum of that has then propelled it forward. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. And then when it comes to other psychological meds, you know, MDMA-assisted psychotherapy, curing two out of three treatment-resistant people of PTSD, which the current standard of care is a cocktail of six to 10 different, yeah. you know, antidepressants and other drugs and things like that. So the best options have been by force in a lot of ways removed, which has created these artificial you know artificial systems that are uh, kind of absolved from that brisk air of competition yeah so you you had made the point that we we agreed where there wasn't a temporary imbalance uh, but i would make the argument that the fastest way to cure those temporary imbalances is not to restrict choice it's not to create more regulation no and, i, I and, yeah and i agree 100 with that i'm just saying that the temporary bounces won't unwind in some cases quickly enough and so like dedicated effort from and this is going to be like one to one this is going to be like those people who have access to that sleeping somnambulant billionaire who is unaware that he is the same as everybody else out there in the world Mm. who thinks that he is special that one-to-one interaction where you get in that inner circle and you're like hey man come here check this out this is going to feel really fucking good. It's going to be a little scary, but let's go, you know, let's drink the cup. Let's do this thing and let's change the mind of those in, individual. It's still obviously not by force. We're not forcing people to drink ayahuasca. We're not holding them down like an alien, you know, alien abduction and holding their eyelids open and feeding them psilocybin <laughs> and having them watch fucking conscious videos or something like that, you know, but it will take some effort on both sides. Like, Yes, deregulation, I think, is absolutely key. Allowing choice, allow the market to roll, allow that giant machine, that 
has been proven effective to roll, but also be like little special forces, little love special forces, where you're going out there and you're like, oh, we got a sleepy, we got a sleepy one over here with a lot of resources. Let's get in there. Let's use our love weapon. Let's wake up their love weapon and let's find these pockets and then help move that and and create flow rather than stagnation. So I you know I'm absolutely in alignment. I just think there has to be dedicated effort to penetrate some of these areas. And a lot of that is going to be one-on-one. It's going to be like Navy SEAL style, like, hey, I have access to this person. Let's go. Let's see what we can do when we get access to that person. And I would I would take it one step further to say that the fastest way and the most proven way to be able to ensure that that happens is by watching dollar signs, is by as by doing it profitably, is by being incentivized to penetrate those gaps and to be able to bring new solutions there. I had an economics professor in college, Dr. Tom Lehman, and this was a Christian school, Indiana Wesleyan University in the cornfields of Marion, Indiana. <laughs> And uh, he said, corn, safe, chocolate cherries, not (laughs) not safe. (laughs) He said, all of you are wondering about what God's plan is for your life or what your highest good, your highest gift to God would be. He gave you the market. Look at where there's need. Look at where the highest profit is, because that's where the gaps in the marketplace exist. And if you look at new ideas. Even if we look at CBD, for example, since you brought that up, CBD has crazy profit margins right now because it's hard to get. It's hard to sell anywhere because it's restricted in in a lot of marketplaces. So if you can bring it to market, people are willing to pay a premium for it. And over time, as those barriers break down, it will become less profitable and only the people who have done it the best will continue to exist. And then those who exited the marketplace will now have to look for higher areas of profit, which will be new areas where there is a greater need. And so I'd, I would argue that the way that we raise our level of consciousness, the way that we, the fastest way that we solve problems is to look at where there's a greatest profit. No doubt. As and, and, long and people, as and it's done freely. As and long. people are voting. You know, look, what is the biggest distributor of organic produce in the world? Walmart. Walmart Mm. is the biggest distributor of organic produce in the world. And that's because that is starting to infiltrate universally. Like the Walmart shopper is not the expendable Whole Foods paycheck or Erewhon market. You know, I'm I'm in the luxury class where I can buy that $30 motherfucking yogurt, you know, but that's not (laughs) everybody. And I recognize that. And that's, you know, that's a, a privilege that, that I've, you know, I've cultivated and I'm utilizing and that, that market serves me. But as that spreads out, you know, and people are voting like, man, I want organic stuff. Even if they don't, even if they're on that $40,000 salary and they're grinding, then Walmart starts to offer it. And then when Walmart starts to offer it, then it gets dispersed. You know, you look at these structures like Walmart or McDonald's, like McDonald's is an incredibly efficient way to distribute food to the masses. And you look at what's happening with their menu, like, they're getting a little better sourcing on their meat. You know, they're getting a little better sourcing on some of their other stuff. And as people vote, you know, because there's that's a highly competitive market. You got fucking Burger King, you got all these <laughs> other places. Like as those, as the people start demanding healthier choices and organic things, they'll start providing it and distributing it efficiently. Like the structure itself is not the enemy. You know, 
in a lot of cases. Sometimes when they're being shady, you know, like some of the big tobacco stuff where you're hiding stuff and you're adding, you know, hijacking addictive mechanisms, like you got to watch out for that shit. But now the internet does a great job exposing that bullshit, you know, like fucking toxic chemicals in Subway bread. You know what I mean? Like that went viral based on a couple posts and Subway was like, oh shit, sorry about that. (laughs) We're going to take these, (laughs) these preservatives out of our bread now, you know, like, and we're in an environment where people are exposed to the brisk truth through social media and through the internet. And that's just helping facilitate this process where awareness creates agency, creates the ability to vote with your dollars better and creates, it's all becomes this kind of virtuous cycle. And these structures that we think are bad, like pharmaceutical companies or McDonald's or Walmart will probably be the structures that end up administering the right medicine when we demand that they administer the right medicine or something else will rise up in its place right and they'll fucking blockbuster video themselves to obscurity <laughs> i think you just use blockbuster video as a verb that's <laughs> yeah, impressive yeah. my man yeah so it, and i would say that capitalism and freedom is the only system through which that's allowed when you when you when you have equality as the primary aim it's the only that is the 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 system through which the malinvestment the the bad stuff continues and perpetuates with no end in sight because what you have to do is wait for the if you want something to change the only strategy then is to wait for the right guy or girl to be running for a specific office and then wait for them to get the nomination hope that you elect them and that they can get something passed through the rest of everybody else and force it upon everyone else. And by then it's no, no longer even the best solution. Yeah, it takes Where, forever. When you have freedom, those things happen faster and the best solutions naturally come about. Everything else is a, everything else is a lag, right? Like the politi- politicians, they're just, they're just trying to accumulate as many votes as they can. And when we demand and we will vote with our actual votes, for something different when we demand it something different will arise right. but when we get stuck in these you know partitions and these fears and these these kind of mental traps that these, that politicians use now of having us focus on you know personal choice issues and nonsense mm-hmm. that it's we're kind of getting stuck and we're not acting in agency we're not acting in awareness so we're not voting with the right awareness so as people become more aware then their votes become more aware and then alternate third party options become more relevant and then different structures and you know you might actually get a libertarian candidate who gets to debate on the big screen because now there's now a monopoly of exposure based on certain various news agencies that'll show these debates but as the internet proliferates and people stop going to tv as the primary source of information again collapsing this kind of inherent monopoly of information and creating competition where anybody can go watch anything on youtube and it's all streamed out there then you're going to start to get a really interesting thing and that's why when we were talking earlier on your podcast you're talking about these structures crumbling and part of those these structures that are crumbling are these structures that had these inherent monopolies oh there's fucking five channels that get piped through the air Mm -hmm. to every tv 
you know, like that's a little bit of competition. ABC is competing with NBC, competing with Fox, but now YouTube comes in and it fucks everybody up. And it's like, oh, now there's a million ways to distribute information. And it's okay that there's going to be a few very confused people who believe in flat earth. Like that's an okay consequence <laughs> of that. You know, you know? for a long time, I thought that was a joke. <laughs> I thought that was a big joke forever. It still is a big joke. I just, some people are in on it. Some people yeah, aren't. Right. But like that, that ultimately is an incredibly positive thing. Like people, people are there's no there's no insulation anymore like the information goes fast and it's faster than ever and people are aware you know closer than ever like companies with bad practices are exposed and that video will go viral and then there'll be a whole thing and they'll have to respond way way quicker and all of that is super positive i i am yet to hear of an example in which just a new innovation and a disruption did not create more opportunity and solutions than it destroyed. This is why I don't fear things like artificial intelligence, because there's there's this there's this fear that it's going to just destroy all opportunity and it's going to enslave us. But never before has there been a disruption or an invention or a creation that succeeded in the marketplace that did not create more opportunity. Then it destroyed. And people fight it. Jason Pfeiffer has an entire podcast dedicated to this. I forget the name of that podcast. Maybe look it up, Ryan. Um, But he goes through and he talks about how at every point where there was a disruptive technology, there was a whole group lobbying against it. So things like the bicycle. People were like, fuck the bicycle. Make the bicycle illegal. You know, these crazy stories. Make buggy whips great again. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You know, it's like anytime there's something that's that's changed, people are like, oh, no, 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 no. Pump the motherfucking brakes. You know, but in general, there's, you know, it's led to positive things. Now, of course, there's in in maybe weaponization, maybe there's some areas where it's like, "Uh, you know, that's probably the world killing bomb is like maybe not a good disruptive technology because you don't want to use that but who develops that yeah well obviously you know i mean that's a very select select group that has to rise to immense power in order to have that and also lose sight like why would you launch the world killer unless you hated the world again it goes back to absence of love as being part of the system you know that's there for and, sure, uh, but I, but I, but also argue that that those are developed for government. Yeah, it's developed for use of force. Yeah, and so we we come back to the restriction of freedom as the greatest evil once again. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Did you find out what that uh, Jason Pfeiffer's podcast is? Two problem solvers. Pessimist Archive is the one. So Pessimist Archive goes through every single innovation like hats like people would like rally you can't make a hat like that you know this hat is disruptive it protects from the i don't know protects from the sun he gave a whole bunch of these examples on my podcast of like at every point we fight it i think ai is another great example of that like you know i think there may be some cases where there is a pandora's box but we've yet to see it you know in in for the most part and there's no reason that i believe that we're headed towards some terminator eventuality if we open the ai box i think it's ultimately going to lead to solutions that create more abundance and create a better life experience for all people yeah i would i would argue that aubrey marcus has done more for healthcare than obama congress and trump combined (laughs) could ever do right because what you have produced in the world is proving and other people are voting that this is a better solution 
that by you writing about solutions, by you providing solutions for people creates the ability for people to voluntarily take advantage of the solutions that are now available to them. It's, Whereas it, it's the expanding agency, you know, which exactly. ultimately is, is the key. Like knowledge, awareness creates agency, creates choice, creates freedom, creates the ability to own your fucking life and make the right choices exactly. about that. Like the game is the game is agency. Like the game is the ability to choose and the ability to have the knowledge, information, awareness of the psychological processes that are keeping us in place, awareness of the structures that are holding us down. Like that's the fucking game. Anybody dedicated to the good of all needs to be dedicated to the awareness of all, not the enslavement or enshroudment of all. You know, like you have to, be driving for people to wake up like that's my primary drive is to like all right help people become aware okay this is what breath can do this is what this food can do this is what this can do you know these are what these products can do buy them if you like you know you know that's great but i think that's again that's key it all goes back to expanding agency in all of its forms universally right and and the only way that you can continue to do that is if there's a profit motive attached to it because otherwise you can't distribute all of the solutions that you have right and the opposite the the force the force argument of government coming up with these solutions does create a profit motive for some people it's just through force and now they're incentivized to keep the system exactly as it is and prevent you from bringing new solutions to the marketplace yeah which is why you as a creator as an entrepreneur as a ceo do more good for the world than any government institution ever could because you are succeeding at providing real solutions for people who have challenges and they want to make a change. I definitely see your point. Again, uncomfortable with the comparison. I mean, you know, it's hard for me to even self-reflect and like think quantify any any type of thing because I just kind of focus on the process. But I, I certainly appreciate what you're saying for sure. And I do want to circle back to the question that we avoided. How the fuck did you get capitalism.com? <laughs> uh, through government force. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I lobbied for this. So it's, it's actually a great story. So I, I am very concerned about my generation's desire to, to bring solutions through government. That I, I, I genuinely believe that the best thing we can do for the world is, is to be free and to be successful. And so when, when I saw this trend happening, I, I started speaking out uh, and, and I, I wanted to go get uh, a platform that represented that. And in college, I, I was becoming an entrepreneur at the same time that I was studying the studying economics during the recession and the 2008 election was going on. So there was, that was kind of my formative years and capitalism was the, the greatest word that encapsulated all of those, those different ideas. And so I, I contacted the person who owned the domain. He had sat on it for 19 years un, unused. And when we got in touch, he said, I get, look, I get, I get two offers a year and I, I decline them all. I don't want the name going into the wrong hands. And so we, we spoke. How very uncapitalistic of it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we, we spoke for, for several hours, several different times. And I remember the, the conversation. He said, um, you know, I think the, the best way that we win people to, a, to our side of the argument, meaning that 
freedom is the greatest solution to our challenges that government is a is a a threat more than it is a solution he said i think the greatest way that we could do that is through debate and i want this to be in the hands of somebody who will debate and i said may i offer you a different opinion his name is david I said, david can i offer you a different opinion he said absolutely i'd love to hear a different opinion he said i think the greatest way that we win people to our side of the conversation is by leading by example i teach entrepreneurs i invest in entrepreneurs i have taught hundreds of entrepreneurs to build seven-figure businesses and they are now leading in their communities. They are now representing an idea of bringing solutions to the marketplace. That's that's what I do. I, I, I invest in entrepreneurs. I teach entrepreneurs. And he paused for a second and he said, I'd like to sell the domain to you. That's dope. And so we came up with a number that we were both happy with. And now I'm the CEO of capitalism.com. <laughs> that's dope, man. That's a cool story. All right. I'm going to pivot. And, and then let, let's tackle one issue that I think um, always was a little bit murky in this, you know, because, you know, I, I loved when I was younger, you know, I think I mentioned to you before, like libertarian kind of debates and philosophy. This was dinner table discussions for me and my father. We loved exploring these different things and free market solutions. He was a, he was a commodities trader. And so he was always looking at the kind of the macro flow of goods and different things that were you know available in the world and, and a deep believer in, in libertarian philosophy you know and the ability for us to choose have agency and sovereignty over our own consciousness and sovereignty over our choice and and so we would explore these and where you know we both saw some inefficiencies at that time and i think there was less you know social media wasn't as prevalent and there was less different solutions was concerning environmental issues which mm. have these like very small and easily ignorable you know universal consequences when accumulated over time create disproportionately big you know potentially negative results for everybody so how do you navigate when someone you know questions you on environmental policy as it pertains to you know force and it pertains to regulation yeah so where i think the role of government does exist is the protection of freedom and the protection of property. And if you pollute my property, I have the right to call in a third party and say, he needs to knock this off. He's violating my freedom. So the, the gray area is who owns public waters? Who owns the air? No one does. So who takes care of it? And I would say the problem is not necessarily that government isn't more involved. The problem is that there's a lack of ownership. Mm -hmm. And when was the last time you cleaned a public restroom? I did in high school, when I, <laughs> but I, okay. I, I was compelled because when you were late to math class, you had to serve fucking two hours of community service. And I decided to <laughs> serve it in the public parks because I thought I was going to like, be, I don't know, be like trimming flower bushes. <laughs> and instead I was just cleaning, cleaning the steaming shitholes yeah. at Zilker Park they had to use, instead. They had to use force <laughs> yeah, totally. to get you to clean the, bath, the public 100%, bathroom, right? Yeah. But, and when was the last time someone cleaned your bathroom? I mean, well, I pay somebody to clean my bathroom yeah, once so, a week or whatever. But right, yeah. so this week. Yeah. yeah. So when, when there's ownership, there is care. And when no one owns anything, when you have public goods, there's a lack of ownership unless you're outsour you're outsourcing the taking care of that to usually white-haired white men in Washington, D.C., 
not really an effective strategy of taking care of public things. Mm -hmm. So the, the issue is a lack of ownership. Who does own the oceans? Who does own the air? And I would say that a better solution is creating more ownership and removing the government from that from that process. Now, that's now. Let's look at the future of what we do. I think the wrong approach is to try to go backwards and try to limit what we can do. The solutions to global warming or climate change are going to come from the market. I would argue that Elon Musk has probably done more to facilitate change in this area than government ever could. It's, it will come from private solutions and the marketplace will determine what those solutions are. And that ultimately will solve this crisis and we're going to call it that. Yeah, I think that, <clears throat> I think that the, you know, those solutions certainly make sense. And those companies with better environmental policies will get, you know, generally upvoted, you know, if there's given a, an approximate choice and awareness and, and that. But I, I think there is something interesting talking about the ownership issue. I, I've noticed that there's there's been a trend where um, like groups of non-humans, like dolphins, for example, or animals have been, you know, allowed access in courts as as if they were a person. So it could be like dolphins versus this, you know, the nation of Japan. You know what I mean? And so that there's some accountability on behalf of that. And, and then it's it because it is a community, it's a communal resource, right? But but by saying that, all right, maybe we treat these as an entity, and this is just, you know, thought just exploring this subject, like what if the oceans what if the oceans could like there was a group of lawyers who could represent the oceans and sue companies who were you know overstepping overstepping the cost of the oceans and obviously the oceans backed by all the people who benefit from the oceans but the oceans themselves were granted entity status and that entity could sue and then use that reparation to create solutions maybe 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 that's a potential solution like you give entity status to these non-entity things that are all communities and that's the solution for ownership because how else do you create ownership of these universal global things unless they have their own autonomy i'm getting stoked this is this is where it gets good all right so that would be a strategy uh i would suggest a slightly different strategy and that's do you know what has been shown to be the fastest way to keep a species from going extinct make it a pet call <laughs> it <laughs> very close privatizing the ownership of that species so if you have someone who is financially driven to protect that species because they're breeding them that creates the solution to that be going extinct so for example uh if we look at poachers no one can own that no one the ivory is banned right so it it and they do that to try and restrict poaching but when they remove that restriction and you now have ownership over the ivory you create solutions to protect that species and that has what has reversed the extinction of that species we could make the same argument to public land to oceans what's the profitable way that we prevent that from being polluted. So 
once again, I sound like a greedy capitalist, which I'm glad to own. I'm glad to own that term as the CEO of capitalism.com because I am convinced that apart from just getting rich, the best way to solve any problem is to make it profitable because now you have incentive and you have sustainability for that solution to perpetuate until it is democratized and now it can be demonetized, as Peter Dumanis would say. So when you have a profitable ownership over something, that is when Yeah, but how can anybody can actually own the ocean or own the air? You know, I don't know yet because that's not the uh, that's not the sector of capitalism that I control. But I would be willing to bet that if you release entrepreneurial genius rather than protect it and restrict it, that you would have more solutions mm -hmm. come to the marketplace rather than just having either a group of attorneys represent the ocean or have government tell people that they can't. You would have more ingenuity come from the private You sector. know, I've seen it from like, I've seen it in like small examples. Like I have this bag, I think it's called, it's this pup bag. And there was this massive waste of the roof plastic, I think over the, the place where the Indianapolis Colts used to play or whatever, okay. there was like an old dome that had like a shitload yeah. of plastic. And it was like a weird plastic that wasn't able to really recycle. So it's either this massive landfill, you know, thing or whatever. And this company entrepreneurially came up and was like, you know what, we're gonna make handbags out of this non-recyclable material. And these are gonna be like tote bags. And we're gonna sell these tote bags and it's gonna have this cool story, non-recyclable material. We made it into bags. It's actually part of the old fucking dome that the Colts used to play in, whatever. And I saw that bag for sale in Abikini. I was like, oh, fuck yeah. It's a cool bag, cool story. I'll buy it. And like that's, it's it's weirdly enough that it certainly makes sense. And it proves your point. Like opening up, you know, allowing entrepreneurs access to that material, then effectively recycled and distributed that material into something valuable, better than any government policy right. could have ever come up with. You know, it just seems like on the biggest macro air, which flows from one property to another, from one country to another, oceans whose currents circle, you know, the entire world. Like we almost need this world ownership. And I don't know, outside of creating these as entities that can defend themselves as if that's oceans are defending its own sovereign rights to a certain degree. And we, and lawyers, and I think that already exists. There's like these pro earth lawyers who are actually doing this pro bono representing different elements of the earth and i forget see if you can find that ryan too the name no the the lawyers it's like an agency earth justice check out earth justice and i don't know too much about them and i don't know if they're doing anything good or not or anything but it just like clicked my mind and something that i was I've like footnoted in my brain to like go back to but it seems like with the biggest the biggest biggest things there needs to be some other solution just because the market itself isn't big enough to capture it you know what i mean and, and that might be the that might be the room where that's might be the exception to the general rule and and earthjustice.org and and i i'm not on that train because i i think i think when we look at that we're looking at the solutions that only exist right now and i think that solutions come naturally from entrepreneurial creativity which is driven by profit and so i i am usually don't get on board with and I have one exception and we'll go there and my libertarian friends will beat me up for it, I'm sure. <laughs> but the, the uh, that derailed me. But I, I think when you're lobbying for force, even a force for good, 
I think you're going to stifle more creativity than you are creating and that you have to release the entrepreneurial engine and the profit motive. There probably is a way to do both, right? I mean, like, I don't think they're necessarily mutually exclusive. I don't think we're necessarily on two sides of the argument. I think you could unleash, you know, the ability for these entities to sue on behalf of the entity itself, which is on behalf of the collective of the world. You know, so it's basically saying people of the world versus, but instead of saying people of the world, you're saying oceans versus, you know, oceans versus fucking whatever companies fucking up the oceans the most, you know, whatever. And then there's reparations that are used. I don't think that excludes or precludes, you know, capitalistic endeavors to clean up this niche. And let's say you can, I know there's some people who are like crystallizing pollution in the air and making fucking maybe maybe you can crystallize it into something so dense and so fucking hard and so shiny and cool and it's iridescent and you fucking wear jewelry that's like an infinity i just clean out a fucking infinity stone <laughs> i mean fucking infinity stone right and like these things are like the more of these you cl- that you collect it's like oh damn i just cleaned up fucking five hectares of air or whatever you know and it's on this ring and i get to wear this dope ring because i've condensed all the pollutants into this super fucking encapsulated thing and then then entrepreneurship does it but at the same time air can sue fucking assholes you know who are fucking up the air for everybody as well and then both solutions can kind of work at the same time maybe i don't know so we've we've had for for example you've probably seen some of the videos that go viral that talk that talk about coral reefs disappearing because because of pollution and no one owns the great barrier reef the government is expected to protect it they're obviously doing a shitty job if they're if they're dying the solution that we've got which is government force it ain't working like something's broken in that system but if someone owns the coral reefs because they're harvesting something there because they're selling a natural resource that comes out of there because they're putting on scuba diving tours and they need the reefs to be clean and protected and thriving, they're way more incentivized to sue, not on behalf of the ocean, but on their own organization. On behalf of their own For, for them to reef. say, you are, you are polluting my business, my ownership of this part of the ocean, that they will act faster than someone lobbying on behalf of of the entity yeah and so once again i come back to to ownership of something over that being a better solution so so even in 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 that model like a micro ownership of the piece and then using that micro ownership when because what may be causing the coral reefs to die may be something totally unrelated in some fucking other random country that's happening right like it's so multi-symptom related but having any ownership of that at all then allows more mobility and more incentive to actually create and more creativity and more creativity and for those solutions to perpetuate in the marketplace because they're profitable to continue mm-hmm. and i think that the key with all this discussion is what we're talking about is is pragmatism not idealism like we want the oceans to live we want people to be happy yeah, we right. want people to have wealth and abundance we want people to feel fucking good the thing that we're trying to figure out is what's the best solution exactly. and in order to do that you have to remove this idealism yes. you have to remove this you know false concept of what the immediate no you know instinctive thing might be and actually look at what is the solution that over time is going to play out the best result and it's a very pragmatic discussion people get uncomfortable when pragmatism threatens their ideals and that's why these discussions get really heated really fast because people have these ideals and these identities they're protecting but ultimately the motivation is the same we're all trying to save the ocean 
What's the best fucking nailed way? It. I, I have a, a, a dear friend who campaigned for Bernie and we were sitting at uh, we were sitting at a dinner and we were talking about politics. And when things start to get a little bit heated, at any time, I like to come back to center and say, I just, I just want to reset for a second and acknowledge the fact that both of us want the, the lowest on the totem pole to be taken care of. We want them to have the best opportunities to change their situation. And I want to be clear that both of us want people who don't have access to healthcare to have access to healthcare. And I, I want us to reset and acknowledge the fact that both of us want the earth to thrive because none of us want to die. <laughs> right. So I just I just want to realign that we're yeah. on the same team right. and what we're arguing here is how we best how we best find solutions to that. And so she brought up environmentalism, she brought up healthcare, and I said I think the the conversation was about healthcare. I said I don't trust a Donald Trump to come up with the best solution for my healthcare. I don't trust Mitch McConnell to come up with the best solution for my healthcare. I don't trust anyone who's lobbying those people to come up with the best solutions for my healthcare. I trust this menu of options that the marketplace will give me so that I can choose the best one for me. And I think that when you do that, prices will come down. When you have greater access to good prices will come down, which will allow poor people to have the same access to healthcare that a rich person has faster. And she kind of relaxed in her chair and she said, this is the first time I realized that people on the quote right to her, people on the right are not arguing that people shouldn't have healthcare. They're just arguing a different way to do that. And I think sometimes we forget in this crazy yeah. politicized us versus them mentality that there's two groups and only one group can win. We forget that we're all on the same team. And the way that we make sure that the team wins is that everyone is free. And I think that is a universal principle that we, whenever we're starting to debate, one thing we all agree on is that we should all be free. And that to me is the context through which we should have these conversations. Whether you're, you vote Democrat or Libertarian or Republican, and full disclosure, I've voted for all three in the past. The thing that we are arguing about is not the what, it's the how. It's how do we achieve the best possible solutions. And I would argue that I'm yet to see a better solution than for all, us, all of us to be free and therefore to not be forced to restrict your own personal freedom. Everybody is part of the political party called Earth and people <laughs> and fucking happiness and freedom. And like, that's the thing that we forget. And anytime we forget that, you know, then we get emotional, <laughs> you know, and because yeah. really it is, it's just about the mechanism that's going to achieve that. So fuck yeah, man. Ryan, Hell yeah. I'm glad we did this. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for having me. That's awesome, Robert. man. Thanks for being on. Um, capitalism.com, where else can people find you? Yeah, so my uh, my business is I invest in, in entrepreneurs. Um, I, I train entrepreneurs and we talk about them. And my platform for that is uh, is capitalism.com. But where I where I make my money is as an investor and as an advisor. And then I have my my uh, the stuff that I share for free with the world on capitalism.com. And you're going to be joining us at, you've joined us at our events in the past, the Capitalism Conference. And you're going to be joining us at our uh, our brand summit yep. this summer. Hell yeah. Yeah. Thanks for what you Beautiful do in the world, man. Aubrey. And did a podcast with you on Freedom Fastlane too. I love you, brother. I love you too, man. Team people, team earth. Let's go. Let's go earth. Let's go earth. Come on earth. Let's do this shit. <laughs>
I know this podcast touched on a lot of sensitive topics. I hope to hear from you guys and get your opinions. I think it's good to expand the mind, expand the thought processes, explore different areas of conversation. And I hope you guys enjoy doing that as much as I did. Please follow up with Ryan if you're interested. And also, of course, leave a review. Hit me up on social media. I love hearing from you guys. You're the reason that this podcast exists. Thanks again.